Welcome to A Walk In My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, Makini Smith. The purpose of this show is to inspire you to walk in your greatness. We have conversations with amazing women that are letting us take a walk in their stilettos so that we can continue to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Today's guest, we have Naomi Cowan. She's a reggae singer and songwriter. She was raised in the entertainment industry under the mentorship of her parents. So her father was the former tour manager for Bob Marley and her mother is the famous reggae singer Carlene Davis. Naomi is a former um, Miss Teen Jamaica an ambassador and mentor for the We Transform Jamaica program, as well as co-founder of Studio Bud, a Toronto-based social initiative. And she is now the 2019 brand ambassador for Bob Marley's 74th Earth Strong Celebrations. Please welcome to the show, Naomi Cowan. Hi. Hey, what's (laughs) up? Thank you for having me. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks again for being on the show. Um, I definitely appreciate you agreeing to come on and, and share your journey with the audience. Thank you. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm I'm grateful to be here. And I think it's really dope what you're doing, you know, creating um, content that people can, that can inspire others. It's really important. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I aspire to do, just to inspire others to, you know, be more, do more and have more. So, um, I, I like to start the show because we all, uh, all the women that we have on the show have all these amazing titles. I like to start the show with a title that I feel is extremely important because we are called this title many times a day, and that is our name. So I'd like to ask you, Naomi, do you know what your name means? Yeah, um, I believe it means pleasant. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. So when I was, I mean, I've always, you know, as a kid, like been told that and then in it, actually, I just Googled on my laptop in front of me. So, um, yeah, it's a Hebrew name <laughs> from the Bible, and it mm-hmm. means pleasantness. Love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. See, I'm, mm-hmm. I am I believe that the uh, meaning of our name has a lot to do with, you know, who we are, how we turn out to be, or who mm-hmm. we even aspire to be. That's amazing. So, mm-hmm. speaking of um, little girl, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Oh, man. Um, when I was a little girl... I just knew I wanted to be, um, I mean, I, at first, you know, when I was very, very young, very, like, meaning five, I actually wanted to be a nurse because mm-hmm. I loved taking care of people. Mm-hmm. And then um, as I got a little older, I wanted to be a model because I was just really skinny. You know, <laughs> I was just, like, ridiculously skinny as a child. And um, and so I was like, well, I may as well be a model. You know, I'm cute. <laughs> um <laughs> But I always just knew I I always loved performing, you know what I mean. So I never had like this one thing in mind. I knew I was gonna be a, I wanted to be a combination of some kind of performance person, mm-hmm. you know. So whether it was a model or an actress or you know I just all even when I was very young I used to, you know I would pass um, we'd be in the car and I'd see billboards or whatever and see um you know children in commercials and I was like mom I want to do that like I need to do that you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I've just always had a desire to, to perform, to Love be on it. camera, to be in front of people doing something like that. So, um, you know, I, I read that you relocated to Jamaica from Canada. Were you born in Canada mm-hmm. or were you born in Jamaica? No, no. So I'm actually definitely born in Jamaica, born and raised in Jamaica. But what happened okay. is that my, my mom, she lived in Jamaica for about, 11, I mean, sorry, my mom lived in Toronto for about 11 years, I think. Um, after she left England and so she became a Canadian citizen because of that and then when she moved when she moved to Jamaica I met my dad and had me and my brother she just made sure we had our passport very young our Canadian passport to just make travel easier and stuff so I've always been a Canadian citizen um, but not by birth so I went to university in Toronto I went to Ryerson because um, you know it was just easier to to you know I don't I mean I wanted to go to school outside of the island right so it was just easier as a Canadian to go to school in 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 Toronto okay okay Mm -hmm. so what was it like growing up in the music industry well I mean it's so funny because people always ask um what was it like what's it like but that's all I've known right Mm -hmm. because you know it's not like one day my parents got up and became musicians and then our lives changed like that's all I've known but um 
you know, it's it's actually it's so funny. Last uh, last week I was backstage at an event where you know Tess Sanchez and Damian Marley was on the show, and it was this massive um, Christmas event. And we're me and Tess Sanchez were just walking, looking at Damian Marley's sons, and they're just backstage like dancing and <laughs> just literally having the time of their lives. And we both looked at each other like, oh my gosh, how crazy is it, is it that we grew up in this as well? And what a, a magical experience it is. Because basically you are kind of having access to, um, I guess, you know, things that are like very glamorous and things that glitter um, at a young age, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you, you know, you're on a stage or, or even, even if you're not physically performing, but you are watching people perform and you're in the studio and, you know, you're getting to go to really cool places. And of course, um, you know, with my parents being in the industry, they were always recognized um, for who they were, no matter where we went. So that was kind of, that kind of used to annoy me after a while. But, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, it's actually kind of cool. It's not really your typical way of growing up, right? And then you kind of get little perks. Um, you know, celebrities get perks, right? So like, yeah. <laughs> people let you into places. You don't have to wait in line. Like, little things happen here and there. Um, but for me, you know, it was just, it was just it's all I knew and um, I think maybe that's why I was also always attracted to to the industry right so you know funny thing you mentioned the Marleys and I don't um, I, I probably I don't even believe I've ever mentioned this publicly um, but people who know me know this but um, mm. my my mother's sister had a son with Bob Marley so um, oh wow one of Bob's sons Robert he has is lots actually of my, sons. He's, yes so <laughs> uh, his son Robert is um, my cousin so, um, you know, you're talking about uh, the, the Marleys and, you know, oh, getting you accustomed to being around certain people and around certain things. And I remember seeing things when I was younger, but, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you're young and you don't know. So when you get older, you're like, oh, wow, that was that yes. was glamorous. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like that's all we knew. And I knew we were different, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew it was different. But then as you get older and you're kind of like trying to build life on your own, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know when you're you know doing life like more on a regular level like there's just so many things that you um don't have access to so yeah so you know what what impact have your parents had in mentoring you into building your music career because like you said you you were born into that and they were mm-hmm. already in that industry so right. how how has that had an impact on building your career yeah, so I mean, well, it's funny because um, I, for a while, never really wanted to directly be in music. Um, I don't know. I was just always very much so independent that I wanted to forge my own path kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of how the role they've played is that they've always encouraged me in music and not necessarily forced me. So what that means is, you know, my mom would like feature me on her songs or um, if I wanted to, she would have me up on stage or, you know, she would, um, I would do background vocals for her whenever she needed, like, some children singing. So they always included me as mm-hmm. much as they could without um, pushing it onto me, you know? Okay. So so it, it, so with that said, they just, I've always been exposed to it. So the environment of music, um, I was always around it, you know? So as I said, the studio, the stage, those places, like, are very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. I don't feel intimidated if I have to perform like I'm, I don't really get nervous I don't get stage fright those kinds of things because it's so normal to me so how, how did you discover your passion for songwriting so for me it was actually through singing at church that mm. I discovered that passion so um as I said before I used to have just this thing in my mind that um I wasn't going to be a singer because I didn't want to be in the music industry, right? Mm-hmm. And so I always kind of suppressed my musical side. Uh, and I actually studied media at Ryerson. And I used to do a lot of television hosting and some commercial acting and things like that. But I always kind of kept music on the covers. Mm-hmm. And then um, I started to volunteer on the music team at the church. And week after week after week, as my voice started to grow and develop more strength and I started to actually like the sound of my voice and I started to recognize that, oh my goodness, you know, music is one of the most powerful tools that mm-hmm. we can use. And it's yeah. actually one of the strongest ways to reach people. And my entire desire behind always wanted to be in entertainment was to be a positive influence. So I was like, oh my gosh, 
I have to do music, you know, it, like I just had this aha, I had an aha moment, you know, and I was like, wow, if I want to be this positive force of light in this world that I live in, I need to use the one gift that I've been hiding all along. And I just kind of recognize that all of the doubts and fears that I had surrounding music were really things that were attempting to stop me from doing what I'm doing today. Right. And so um, in terms of my passion for songwriting, it was just a more of it was more of a passion for people that grew. And then I was like, whoa, I have to do this. Like, I don't have a choice. You know what I mean? It was one yeah. of those things. And then from there, I just, um, I just decided to continue to, to teach my, like, I just, every morning got up and started to, to write a little bit. I taught myself the guitar um, and just put myself into the practice of songwriting. Because songwriting really is a discipline. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just put myself in that headspace of, 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 of creating songs. So speaking of creating songs, your song mm-hmm. Paradise Plum, it's number one mm-hmm. in the New York, the number one on the New York reggae chart, which is arguably the yeah. most influential reggae list in the United States. So how does that feel? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> OK, so um, I think what I don't I think I don't know how it feels because I don't even understand how they make like my brain is very strange. In other words, like if someone said, oh, your song is like number one on Spotify, I'd be like, oh, I get it. That's dope because I understand how Spotify works. Right, right. Um, whereas like a chart, I'm like, wait, who, who is it that people called in? Like, how did it get there? Did right. someone just one day decide it was number one? I'm like, it's cool. But I don't, <laughs> I don't think I understand the magnitude of it because I don't, right. I, I was like, who, you know, but hey it's dope I I don't care really I'm, just like, I'm excited <laughs> I was excited to hear it but in, internally I wasn't like super excited and I wasn't um I was just like oh wow <laughs> you know because I was like how did it get there who made it you know <laughs> um so yeah I, I, I think I, that's I think awesome. awesome I think I I think that you know that 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 keeps you humble you know what I mean because mm-hmm. it's it's in such uh, an influential place and it you know it's on the top and for other people looking it's like oh my god that's such a big deal and you're just so humble about it you're like that's cool <laughs> like yeah, I don't know yeah, how yeah, I got there but that's I don't cool. think it's, yeah exactly exactly but not yeah. because I don't think it's a big deal I'm just like whoa yeah. okay yeah yeah so <laughs> I love it okay so yeah. um how how has self-image played a role in you pursuing your dreams yeah. Um, so as I was saying, like even the whole thing with my fears towards music, um, you know, self-image is so many things I've learned. It's 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 internal and external. So um, I worried so much about what people thought about me mm-hmm. um, for a long time, which is one of the reasons. What there's you know there's a few things in my life that I feel like I didn't do because of fear of the opinions of others, mm-hmm. um, which revealed to me that. I had an approval problem. Like I wanted to be approved by whoever the greater society was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I had to, you know, kind of journey through to be like, listen, at the end of the day, like there's always going to be people that will never like or love you. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized I had to be okay with that. Um, uh, that's on a very deep, deep, deep internal level. But physically, you know, um, I, it's just so funny. I just, there, I just can't remember a time in my life where I didn't have a problem with something physical, you know? Um, so, I mean, I've never really seen a psychologist about this kind of stuff, but as I look back, I recognize that I struggled with body dysmorphia for a really long time. And mm-hmm. what that means is, you know, you kind of obsess over one body part mm-hmm. or you obsess over something that you want to be fixed or you want, you know, so it's like you never feel completely beautiful or completely perfect or you know what I'm saying so um mm-hmm. that used to I mean what's crazy to me is that I mean I, I used to struggle with these little things um for a long time but somehow I was still always able to still like pull up my pants and decide I was gonna perform or model or uh, any of the things I've done I've done them in the midst of of, of literally having um a self-esteem issue right. you know um right. which was crazy to me because you know it can it can get so obsessive right and then yes. um I um I actually at one at, at you know in one season of my life definitely struggled with um an eating disorder you know um like an emotional eating disorder and um wow. you know that was so and that was something that stemmed from as I said the same body dysmorphia thing so right 
I mean, I guess the eating disorder was just kind of like waiting to happen and it was just what was going to trigger it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I know I don't struggle with that anymore. You know, I was just able to work, navigate my way through that as well. It took a couple of years for sure. But um, yeah, so, so what's was there, was there anything? That... Yeah, go Sorry, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you can I was going to say, was there anything specific that you did to get through that? Which you mean like the, the, like the, yes. Yeah. Just for anyone listening yeah. that may be experiencing the same thing. Yeah, 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 sure. So um, I think for me, um, it was it was a lot of, it was, a, it was a, I don't even, it's so funny, I was talking to a, a roommate of mine who, you know, I lived um, with at the, the, the end of all of that. And I was like, I looked at her and I was like, man, you know, Casey, I don't even know at what point in time I stopped mm-hmm. having this problem. It was, it was literally small steps. So for example, at the root of it, I had to understand where it was coming from. That's mm-hmm. that. That's first of all. So I realized that um, it was from a control. And I, th- I think a lot of people with eating disorder probably say, oh, this comes from some kind of place of control. In other words, I think it was my way of dealing with feeling as though I didn't have control over certain things in my life. Mm-hmm. And so the ones, one of the things we all can control is what we eat. Right, so right. that's why... Um, I would eat overeat whenever I was in an emotional state, right? So I first had to get to the the root of that to be like, okay, you know, this is what's triggering. So you have to face whatever it is that you think you're not having control over. Right. And 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 deal with that and kind of be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also realized that, you know, I was holding myself to a certain standard in terms of how I was supposed to eat. So I'm a fairly healthy eater. Like anybody that knows me, they know that I I eat fairly clean. I've always kind of more been into healthy foods and stuff. So what I also realized is with the eating disorder, um, because I felt as though I didn't have my eating all perfect together. You know, like when people, they're like, oh, I just, they just stopped going to the gym. And so they figured like they're not going to go back until they're ready to all the way go back. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. They're just like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, wait till I'm ready to work out again instead of like, Hey, you know what? I could go once a week and I'm not, and that would be better than not right. going small at steps. So, yeah. Right. So what I was realizing too, is that I had this standard in my head about, you know, how I was supposed to eat and um, how my diet was supposed to look. So until I could get back to that place, I was just going to eat like, you know, eat garbage, mm-hmm. <laughs> eat crappy foods. So then I had to, you know, trick myself, not trick myself, but basically um, mentor myself out of feeling like I had to have this, perfect eating schedule and this perfect diet and be like it's better to eat fairly balanced than not to eat well at all mm-hmm. um and then also being I had to also know get to the point of being okay with the fact that because because of overeating I eventually like gained a bunch of weight right mm-hmm. and and that was weird for me too because as I said like I grew up being fairly fairly thin or slim um I just always had a big booty and then a really small body so <laughs> I, I had to get to be okay also with my new body. That was, right. a, big, that was a big thing. And, and, and because I, um, I realized that with my weight gain, I started to dress like a freaking, like, I don't even know, like a homeless <laughs> person because I didn't even know how to, because I probably gained about, I don't even, I never stepped on a scale really, but because I, I stopped using scales when I was 18. I, I, um, I agree with like you. It, it, was, <laughs> I, it, was, it was getting to my head. I was like, this is not good. I'm just going to. So, but I think estimated, I probably went up like two, um, maybe two, two or three sizes. So pretty much I didn't know how to dress my new body mm-hmm. because I would, um, you know, try things on and not know who I was looking at. Right. So I would just wear big t-shirts and leggings and stuff like that. So one of the other things I had to do was be sure that I, accepted my new body and started to like um be be kind to it so in other words compliment myself you know actually buy clothes that looked good on you know this new shape whatever that looked like and 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 be a queen you know what I mean I had to get Mm -hmm. back my sleigh I had to like find my swag again I had to find (laughs) my like in my in my apartment well last apartment I lived in in Toronto we call it our vava room I had to literally <laughs> find that back because I had gotten into a bit of a hole mm. of just like depre- like like a self depreciating hole of like just not um you know empowering myself. So I had to be like, no, I'm still pretty cute. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. I'm thicker, but it doesn't. I'm not 
you know, any less. And so that was a big part of it. So I had to say, when I say like practical steps, it literally meant, you know, um, if I had a function or like an event or something to go to where I, I would have preferred to wear an empire style dress, mm-hmm. I forced myself to wear like a, um, a pencil skirt with a shirt tucked in, you know, because that allowed me to look at my figure when I right. passed the mirror. Whereas like if I bought something that was empire wasted and it was loose, you, you didn't have to look at it because what I was doing was avoiding. Covering, you're covering it up. Yeah, I was always, I was always covering up, avoiding things that would allow me to see my body. So I, I actually had to, to be like, no, I'm going to get something with this cut and, and be like, this is your body now. And you can still take care of it. You can still buy clothes that it look, that looks good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, because I was, I, I, I'm so bad. I, first of all, sizes are so weird nowadays. So I don't even know what <laughs> they're, the they're so off compared to what they but used for, to be. <laughs> yeah. So for example, let's say like I would, I went up to like a, a 10 and I'm used to wearing like a four or six. Well, mm-hmm. I can't wear a four on my bottom half, but like, you know what I mean? So, so, so that's like a good two sizes up. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I, um, those, that was a very practical thing I had to do. I was like, whoa. I literally had to start dressing myself sexier in in my new body. You touched right? on so um, many important mm-hmm. um, points because um, earlier you talked about, um, you know, the, the inner and outer self-image. And mm-hmm. one one thing that women need to understand is that we do have two self-images. The, the image on the outside that we project to the world and how we dress ourselves and how we show up physically. And then mm-hmm. our, our image on the inside of how we actually see ourselves. And you touched on that where you said, you know, how you felt about your insecurities and you know, you started to gain weight because of things that, you know, you, you couldn't control. But part of your getting through that was understanding self-control where you mentored yourself out of it. You know, you had the discipline to um, adjust your eating habits. You had the discipline to control what you actually wore so that that, you know, affected your actions. You, you spoke on um, how you had to compliment yourself, which is, you know, affirmations, how we affirm things in the positive so that we actually start to believe them. And then you went into empowering yourself even further with accepting the size that you are, mm-hmm. understanding how to dress that way, look in the mirror. You know what I mean? Like you touched on so many important self-image um, points there that you actually had to go through. And I don't even know if you realize, but that's that's amazing. Like all of those, those steps yeah, are yeah. so important. Yeah. Wow. I, I, and it's so funny. I mean, I really can, honestly, it's really God that had, you know, is, is, is really the only person that could have walked me through that. Because I didn't see a counselor. I mean, I read lots of different, I mean, there's a few books, I would say, and a few blogs and stuff that I was always kind of trying to seek wisdom from. Um, but I think he he truly guided me um, on that journey mm-hmm. and held my hand through, throughout that process and was just very gentle with me. And, you know, um, it's just so crazy because now I feel pretty much back to normal. Mm-hmm. And I just can't, but I, I look back and I'm like, I cannot believe that was me. And I'm not talking <laughs> about the physical. I'm just talking about like what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. I'm sure women listening can attest to that. Like, like, why am I emotionally eating right now? I feel so sick. Like you feel, you feel so full and so gross. And I'm just like, wow, it's just crazy. It's just mm-hmm. crazy. But I, I mean, I just give thanks, you know, and I know obviously same, like, I think it's on your it's on your blog that you just go, you go through a lot of these things, not just, you know, sometimes for other people. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And your, mm-hmm. your, your testimony, your story, it may be about you, but it's not necessarily for you. You know, someone exactly. else needs to hear it so that they can get through it as well. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, like what other um, adversities have you had to overcome or, or fears um, have you had to overcome to pursue your dreams? Yeah. Um, I think that one of the biggest ones was accept is um, the fear of failure. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's why I never, you know, you know, immediately decided to do music because it's such a big risk. Mm. Like nothing is guaranteed in that industry. It's not a profession that you can just pick up and say, Hey, like I can do this particular skill and craft, you know, have a career out of it. Um, even people who are musicians that don't want to be um, public artists, you know, guys who play guitar and they play different instruments for other artists. Like, you don't know, like, I mean, you have to be very good to, mm-hmm. to, be, to be hired, but, you know, it's just there's no guarantee. And so I so, think I, um, 
I kind of grew up around so much success in a way. Maybe it it put me in a place where I wanted to only do what felt a little bit more tangible and touchable from my perspective. Right. In other words, whereas I was like, okay, if I go to college for television and media, then like, you know, okay, I can go out there into the big world and find a job as a reporter or as a whatever a personality. Um, and I'm already different because I'm come from another place and I'm good at it. So, you know, it felt a little bit more achievable, I think, like a mm-hmm. lower hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense because technically music should be a lower hanging fruit because <laughs> I grew up around it. So I don't even know. It's just so funny. Like I have no clue why I'm fearful of failing in a space where I had so much support. Um, but that was the biggest fear. Um, wow. I think, I think, I think also there was just this fear of not being taken seriously. You know, um, I think also in the country, you know, in the society I grew up in, in Jamaica, it's funny because people look at Jamaica from afar and they're like, oh, Jamaica is like this great musical <laughs> place and it's full of culture, but there's also a lot of, of um, mental slavery here. That's what Bob Marley's talking about when he says emancipate yourself from mental slavery in mm-hmm. that song is because our nation was once colonized by the British. And so some of our mindsets um, is, are still rooted in, in this, you know, top-down thinking of, of you need to be like a lawyer, doctor, this and that, to be taken yes. seriously and to be respected. And, you know, musicians here are not really respected until they make it here. Mm. And that's a huge problem because we should be encouraged from the onset. So in other words, you know, like when people say, when you're, you know, when let's say, you know, a kid is in high school and they're like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, well, I really want to be a doctor. So day in, day out, that child is encouraged. Right. They're, they're, all of the, the affirmation around them is very much like, you're going to be amazing. You're such a smart this. You're, da, da, da. you're going to change the world. So, of course, you know, mm-hmm. that's why you don't, you know, they, they, they're going to do it. Yep. But if you, if you at a young age say, hey, I want to be um, a singer-songwriter, a professional singer songwriter you know what people say to you is like okay we'll make sure you have a backup plan yeah like there's yeah. always the, the, the tone the, the the language surrounding it is always um so negative and i'm not blaming the greater society and saying like it's everybody else's fault all, all i'm saying is that it's a bit harder to choose certain things you know you really have to and, and i really have to give it to anybody who has stuck to their guns and they have made it through all of the doubts that come with this industry. Like mm-hmm. anybody that you see that has made it and maybe didn't have a silver plateau, you know, I give it to them 100% because I know what they've gone through, right? right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that fear of failure, as I said, is a huge thing. And then so many other fears really stem from the fear of failure. And mm-hmm. it goes, it translates into, you know, fear of what people think and fear of being broke and fear of like, there's just so much. So that was my biggest one. That was really my biggest one. Wow. Everything else was fine. Like in terms of, you know, because I, I, as I said, I, I, I've been, I've been given everything, everything else I need in terms of the tools and, and whatnot. Um, but the biggest one is really that fear of failure that I had to, I had to face, and I faced, you know, I faced it every day. I, I think it's important that you point that out because you know there are people sitting stuck and afraid to move out of fear Mm -hmm. and they don't realize that we're all out here feeling the fear but doing it anyway so I think that's important that's important yeah I think I think one thing with fear is that if you just see it as like a a, a extra factor in the in the equation but it doesn't help it doesn't change the results in other words um fear is always going to be there I realize no matter what but you can still act in the face of fear just like when you decide to go sorry go ahead no I was just gonna say I said like anything that we want to pursue or do outside of what we're currently doing there's this wall this barrier every single one of us has mm-hmm. it it exists for everyone it's a terror barrier but you have to learn to push through that in order to get to the rewards to get to the other side other side exactly. instead of getting to the wall saying this is too scary for me and turning around and going back to what you know exactly and, and it's, it's, there's this book i've been reading um called big i think it's big magic I think it's called Big Magic. Let me just double check. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, by Elizabeth Gibert. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. She, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fair. So she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, yes, yes. And yes. There's, there's a scenario that she paints in the book about um, 
she paints this scenario that goes like, she says, you know, anytime you're about to go on any sort of creative pursuit, <clears throat> you need to visualize it like it's a road trip. Mm-hmm. And on the road trip, there's going to be creativity, which is like the vision of what you're creating. And then mm-hmm. there's going to be fear. And there's going to be fear in the car with you. So what she says is you need to treat fear like it's a part of the journey, but let fear know that, listen, you're not taking a passenger seat. You're going to take a back seat. You're right. coming along for the ride. You have no say. You're not giving me directions. And so she, she says that she has this little bit of a conversation with herself or with fear mm-hmm. and creativity and sets everybody's roles. Mm. So it's just like, it's just recognize. So like, don't be afraid of fear. So when you feel it, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you less worthy of your right. calling. It doesn't make you less worthy of success. It doesn't make you less deserving of anything good. It's just you're human. But I think we're taught to not be afraid. And so exactly. when we see fear, we feel like, oh, I'm not meant for this. Right. right? And then you, you look at the, the journeys of anybody that's accomplished anything. They're like, oh, I was scared the entire time. Still, <laughs> exactly. Like, they're like, oh, my God, exactly. I'm still scared. <laughs> um, and then you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. So, so, I, so I think that fear of failure is such a huge, huge thing. I mean, but the more you realize that's how normal it is, is the less. Yes the less power it has. It's no, you know, you come to the point where you deal with it so often that it it becomes part of the norm. You know, you you know that the fear is going to be there, but you, you're like, okay, well, I just got to get through this one. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's literally what it is. And um, it's so empowering when you, when you actually get get through it. Yes. And then you're like, oh, you know, so like, Every time I have a show or something, people are like, oh, I feel I'm like, oh, I have no clue how this is going to work out. But I mean, I'm already here. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right, I'm just going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? Like, for example, when I, when I was preparing for my performance on Reggae Songfest, which is literally like the biggest stage I would have been on last year, I was just coming off the heels of helping my dad produce a massive festival down here in Kingston. Mm-hmm. And I felt so unprepared in terms of like, you know, my outfits and all of those things, like, mm-hmm. like, I was just like, you know, I, I was really, really not, not scared, but just, I hate when I don't feel prepared, right. you know, because I, whenever I get an opportunity, it's an honor. I, mm-hmm. you know, I consider it an honor when I get an opportunity to do anything like that. So when I feel quote unquote unprepared, I'm just like, oh my God, like, I don't, des- like this, I don't deserve for this to go well, or, you know, I kind of get in mm-hmm. this space, but then I'm like, you know what, I'm already here, like, I have nothing, no other choice other than to to do the damn thing. You know what I mean? Right, but, right. So, so I just, um, so whenever things, you know, things are coming up and I don't feel ready or whatever the case is, I just have to get to the point of, well, you're already here. So you just have to do <laughs> what you can do and trust that God's going to work it out. You know, everything from That's wardrobe right. to, you know, all of the things that tend to stress me out. So, yeah, it's it, it actually, I, I'm, and I'm now kind of getting to the place of like, oh, wait, things are like, this. always going to be like this. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no matter how, how, I mean, no matter how prepared I try to be or, you know, I, I'm not saying that I think things are always going to be haywire or really messy, but I think that I just have to be okay with knowing that something, some, not something's always going to go wrong, but things just... um there's always going to be some kind of challenge. There, there need needs to be, okay to be a challenge that. in order to strengthen. Yeah. Then you assume that things should just be easy. But if everything was easy, then you right. have a bunch of, you know, weak people around because they wouldn't know how to deal with any form of adversity. And exactly. everything that you go through is there to strengthen you so that you can be better and stronger for your next level. Exactly. And you know what? I also think that when things do go smoothly, you're just like more grateful too because you're yes, not, you appreciate you're probably it. Used to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure, for sure. So So how did yeah, you get so, into mentoring? Um, so as I said, like so I've always had this desire to I I don't know where it came from. I you know, when I was Miss Teen Jamaica, I just always kinda knew that the reason why I was kind of choosing this path or whatever the case it was really to benefit others. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to be able to give back through through everything I did. Mm-hmm. Right. So so um so when I started working in television, I even I had started doing, you know, these um what you call it, like I started to mentor a group of, of young teenage moms 
at a group home here in Jamaica. Um, so I just, I've, I've just always found ways to, to do that. I, it just felt like it was always part of who I was supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in terms of getting into it, I just, I just started, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, um, I had some friends actually visiting from the States. They were kind of from a church and they wanted to, um, you know, find somewhere that they could go and do some ministry. And I just, you know, I just kind of like asked around and looked at some places and I found this group home for teen moms and I brought them there and they did, you know, they did some music and whatever. But then after that, I remember looking at this group of girls and I was like, whoa, this is where I'm going to start. You know, so so it was just self-initiated things. I mean, my, my, my family in general, like my mom for the longest time, always, um, she was always serving others. You know, I remember there was a time where every birthday of hers, she did a treat at a, at a kid's, at a group home called Maxfield Park Children's mm-hmm. Home down here in Kingston. So I always grew up watching my parents give back as well. And um, I love I love that because I, you know, yes. I say not everything is taught. Some things are caught. So, you know, you watch your parents do that. And that's now, you know, where your heart is. And that's right. what my right. my hope is for, for my children, because I, I do right. the same. And as you were talking about the teen moms, like I get goosebumps because I had my first child at 17. And wow, you know, you so society was not uh, kind to me because I look like I was 12 at the time. Um, right. But but when I became an entrepreneur and I started to see, um, you know, my own terms of success, I decided that I wanted to give back. And I I think it's probably five or six years now going on um, that every year I go into this facility for teen moms and I do workshops right. with them. I spend time with the girls. You know, we bring them Christmas gifts and, you know, things for their baby because I want to show them that where they are, their current. Uh, circumstance is not the end all and be all you know it it may be the start of their story but it doesn't have to end there and there's so much greatness out there for them and when they see someone that's come from the exact same place that they're in you know doing things that they can feel inspired and know that they can go on to to do more and be more so I love exactly yeah yeah and I I think that's what it's like I recognize that you know what's the purpose of of having anything if it's not to to inspire others that's right we're blessed to be a blessing exactly exactly so i've just always had that perspective of 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 um of of like you know you live to give right yes yes i I bring my daughters with me when i do those so that they can also see um you know this is where mommy once was this is how mom gives back and the girls that are in those facilities they love when I when I tell my story and I say you know when I was 17 I had my first child then I'll point to my daughter who's almost turning 21 and say well this you know this was her (laughs) from Uh back then um you know it's a good experience for my daughters as well as the girls that are there just to to see um you know that 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 cycle exactly yeah Awesome. So, I mean, the music, I'm sure the music industry can be stressful. And like you said, you talk about, you know, having to push through your fears constantly. So mm-hmm. you must, you must have some self-care routines to keep you grounded. Like what do you, what do you do on a regular to stay grounded for self-care? So I feel like I don't do as well on math as I should. <laughs> um, in terms of self-care, sometimes for me, it's just being okay with taking moments to myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And not being available to everyone. Yep. Unplugging. Um, yeah. I, I, and that might just mean like, I'm just going to watch four hours of Netflix and nobody, you know what I mean? Yep. Those are the things that I do for self-care. I um, I do sometimes try to make an effort like with some of my other friends that are in the creative industry to do things like, hey, we're going to go for a weekday beach day because we don't have regular jobs. Right. So that might mean like we might work for 10 days straight. Um, so sometimes I'll intentionally do things, sometimes I'll intentionally do things that are, you know, a little bit against the grain of what everybody else is doing. Right. So it kind of makes yourself feel a little special. <laughs> like, I mean, like, you know, like, oh, I can take a, a weekday and go to the beach because I don't have an office to go to. Um, right. so some of those things are like self-care things I do. I, um, I mean, even today, I I, I made it like today I was trying to go to the studio with so many different people. It's so funny. I reached out because, you know, you're always there's always projects that are ongoing. 
mm-hmm. and I reached out to different producers to be like, hey, I'm free this afternoon. I'm free. And nobody kind of got back to me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a hair appointment. Like, I can't. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> right, right. Me time. So those are some of the things um, that I do as well. So like mm-hmm. literally just um, finding ways to to keep myself, what's the word? Like just separate from from what what what's what's happening all around me. Right. But I, I, I'll be honest, I'm not the best. I need to work on that. And I'm trying to work on it, you know, um, doing more self-care things on a frequent basis so that I don't have to do it when I feel like I'm about to crash. Right, Because right. that's where I feel like my back problem is, though. It's like I tend to fight for those things when I feel absolutely exhausted and I'm a hot mess. But it really should, if it's more regular, then you don't have to wait till you're about to crash. Right. You know right. what I mean? So um, what's some of the other things I think I do that, that do help me in terms of taking care of myself? It's literally just even how I eat those things. I mean, you you know, um, you honor your body when you do the right things for it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't work out as much as I used to, um, which is so crazy because, like, I feel like my weight has been the most consistent. But, um, <laughs> so, like, I, I do I do just try to do things like that, you know, whether it's, like, I don't, re- I don't eat junk food. You know, I feel like it's a punishment to yourself when you, I don't eat KFC. I don't eat those things. Like mm-hmm. ever, you are where you eat, you right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's, I didn't, I don't even think like I have people who I hear them say, they're like, Oh man, I'm going to have to eat KFC. And I'm like, who says you have to like, who's making exactly. me eat it? And there's, <laughs> and for them, it's a way of saving money. But I'm like, but like the money you just spent on that KFC, you could have bought like a falafel wrap. You know right. what I mean? It's the same yeah. money. So those are the things that I also do you know, to, to, to take care of myself is just like, I'll probably spend a bit more on whole foods or whatever the case is. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm not as bad as I'm, I'm painting it to be, <laughs> but uh, yeah. No, those are, those are some good things. So um, yeah. I was reading this um, article that says that your favorite type of shoe says a lot about your personality. So really? whether that's, um, you know, a flip-flop, a boot, a running shoe, a stiletto. So mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, Naomi, what is your favorite type of shoe? I've become very much into, like, hmm, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I don't have a proper answer for that question. But what I would say is probably definitely a boot. A boot. If I wore okay. shoes. Because I'm very much a moody shoe person. Like, in other words... <laughs> you know what I mean like I mean I like wearing I prefer wearing flats no that's not true that's the thing I want to say a boot because a boot allows you to be in a heel for a longer time period at least for me okay. if, I, if I bought if I buy a pair of boots it's because it fits well like I don't buy I try not to buy uncomfortable shoes ever mm-hmm. I think you just put on chain yourself mm-hmm. okay well I it says say the- a nice boot it says the person who loves wearing high heel boots will be the one to take control of the situation. Uh oh. Hmm. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So before we go to the final segment of the show, um, I want you to tell the audience where they can stay connected with you online. Yeah. Um. So um. On Twitter and Instagram, it's just at Naomi Cowan, and then my Facebook music page. Yeah. Same thing. My first name, last name, N A O M I. C-O-W-A-N. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the best way to find me. Perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, the final segment of the show, um, I call it a walk in her stilettos. That's where you share um, general inspiration from your walk. So there's <clears throat> a couple of general uh, questions. I'll pick a couple of random ones and you say the sure. first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Uh, okay. So name a book that has greatly changed or impacted your life. Book that has great. Okay, this is gonna seem so silly. Um, it's such a weird. The book. Okay, so the book that sh- that definitely changed my life. It, it was actually, um, like a Bible study, <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. called "So Long Insecurity," um, uh, by a lady by uh, the name of Beth Moore. Okay, and I, I yeah. well, I'm I'm gonna put the connection to because earlier you talked about getting through your insecurities. Um, yeah, so it so, was one of the. Yeah. It was definitely one of the books. Um that helped me with all of that but then okay I have a second one too and it's called mm-hmm. and I won't give any more it's called Dreaming with God and it's by mm-hmm. Bill Johnson love it yeah and that book really gave me the freedom to feel like in terms of in my creative space and everything 
it just gave me it helped me to usher into like a freedom of knowing that you know my talents were god-given and that like he dreams right alongside with me mm-hmm. you know and i don't have to fear um anything actually coming to fruition or anything manifesting because you know he put those dreams inside of me mm-hmm. you know um so so yeah those two books for sure love it love it Okay. Uh, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Um, okay. It would say, be everything you are. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, I don't use that hashtag as often as I should, but um, pretty much, it, it, you know, in my whole thing with music and stuff, that was something I started to recognize that oftentimes we have different parts of our, parts of ourselves that we don't exercise or we don't use or we don't reveal mm-hmm. and so in being everything we are we are fearlessly living our true selves and we're Love fearlessly it. allowing people to have access to that now the thing is you don't like I think I don't think all of the parts of you have to be activated on a large scale you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying you know mm-hmm. for example I have a passion for food and nutrition I'm not going to school for like naturopathy right now and becoming you know, a nutritionist. Right. Um, however, that doesn't mean I shouldn't have a passion for it. Right. So when I say be everything you are, I just mean don't suppress other parts of yourself just because it's not quote unquote successful by the, it's not considered successful by the world standards. Right. You know, or if right. you have a passion for an issue or a certain cause, just because you can't go out there and start a massive nonprofit organization on human trafficking or whatever doesn't mean you don't have a voice or it doesn't mean you can't um, have an impact. Right. So I think for me, I think the reason why I, you know, I think people just need to be okay with all of the parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it matters most even around the people we're closest with. In other words, you know, our spouses or partners, our friends, not, not hiding um, those parts of yourself because you're afraid of what they're going to think because that person right. is probably going to love love you more love you more yeah yeah i i that because that's i believe who that. you are yeah, yeah yeah so i definitely believe that so that's what i would put on a billboard i love that I, I love that because you know in even how you made reference to you know spouses and partners and stuff like that like in past relationships i felt there was parts of myself that i couldn't be open about or you know show that person but with my partner now like pfft, whether it's taking off my wig mm-hmm. my lashes whatever I can be me yeah <laughs> and he loves yeah all exactly <laughs> yeah and if you find that girl good for you like. <laughs> yeah. okay so uh last question um what have you become better at saying no to in the last five years what have I become better to saying no to? Um, conversations that are going nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think um, sometimes as women, we feel like we have to explain ourselves a lot. Mm-hmm. And we find us, I find, I, and I guess because I've always kind of been in a bit of a public space, um, people somehow feel like they have to offer you an opinion on, on what you're doing. Uh, right. Or whatever. <laughs> I have no, I have no uh, clue unsolicited opinions <laughs> yeah i'm just like when did i you know like you know what you should do and you know what you should i'm like what did you think i should do really tell me so um i think one of the things i've been much better at saying no to even if it's not directly saying no but just walking away from it's just those conversations that lead to nothing or those conversations that are not um bringing life you yes. know i don't mind constructive criticism at all but when they're not life-giving and they're not coming from a good place i'm just like right. i'm just not even gonna like for example um you know, when you run into someone and they're like, so what are you doing with your life nowadays? Like, I don't even, I just, you know, actually as a joke, I say nothing. And then I just like, oh, I'll see you soon. I actually say nothing. On because I'm just like, you know what, if you're not, I mean, and it's not because I'm like, oh, you don't know that I'm singing. What, you know, what's wrong? It's not really that, but it's more of the fact that I'm just like, you're not really asking this from a good place. Because if you actually knew me or cared about me, you would Right, know. right. So um, I'm not going to have this conversation with you in front of a takeout food place just to pass the time. So right, I, I right. think for me, that's kind of what I'm much better at saying no to is not, 
yeah, not explaining myself if I don't have to to people that don't necessarily hold any weight, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being able to pick up on that mm-hmm. and knowing that, oh, okay, like you don't have my best interest. You're not genuinely interested. You're not trying to learn from what I'm going through. You don't want to share what you're going through. So you're just bad mind, you know, as we say in Jamaica. Yes. Um, yeah. so, so, yeah, I think I've become much better at saying no to that because those kinds of conversations actually – I recognize that, you know, whenever I've tried, you know, when I've been in the startup phase of anything, um, those things actually can be toxic to your journey Very if you let so. them in. Yes. If you let them in. And so um, I realized that, man, I have to protect my ears and what I'm listening to and the voices that are I'm letting into my space kind of a thing. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, yeah, I would I- say I've become much better at saying no to that. I think that's, you know, extremely important. I think there's a lot of people, especially, um, you know, when you're doing things, everyone has an opinion and that that's great, but they don't need mm-hmm. to voice their opinion to you. If you are not do, if you have not been there and your opinion doesn't come from a place of wisdom, it's coming from randomness. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I don't take advice from people that I don't want to switch places with. So for instance, if you are, single and every two weeks you're in a new relationship don't give me relationship advice you know right I'm I'm not trying to hear it you know what I mean so I can only imagine um, the types of opinions and advice that people come to you with about what they think you should do and you know sometimes the best way to to quiet them up is ask them have you have you tried that have you done that like yeah exactly exactly (laughs) yeah because most times it's a no (laughs) Or sometimes I just say, all right, thanks. Well, Naomi, I want to thank you again for sharing all of your wisdom and your greatness. Um, I I can't wait till this episode airs because I know that the audience is going to love all of it. Um, Can you just tell them one more time where they can find you online to stay connected with you? Yeah, man, sure. So please, guys, um, hit me up at Naomi Cowan. That's N-A-O-M-I-C-O-W-A-N. And... um, Uh, That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi, for taking the time to join us. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate what you're doing and and continue to build on that. It's a necessary message, you know. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. So until next time, download the Awaken My Stilettos app and subscribe to our newsletter at awakenmystilettos.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review. What did you think about the conversation? What do you have to add to what Naomi had to share? To continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.